We're starting a new series tonight, and uh, I'm excited about it. We, we finished our series on how, how to obtain fullness of power. And I want you, if you would, to uh, open with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to start in verse 24. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. This really is going to be our theme for this, uh, for this series on Wednesday nights. Hebrews 11, 24 through 29. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the approach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, assaying to do, were drowned. Father, we thank You, Lord God, that we have this wonderful uh, account of the faithfulness of God and a man of faith, Lord, that we can glean from and learn from. I thank You that this is part of our spiritual heritage, Moses, and this account that we're given here. And God, I pray You speak to us in a great way. In Jesus' name, Amen. We're going to talk about the life of Moses. And uh, we don't worship any people. But the Bible does say that we can, uh, or to give honor to whom honors due, and you know, and and uh, and so forth. And we want to give honor to that. But really, when we, we study the life of Moses, one of the things that stands out to me about his life is is the humility and that and the faith. And it's not that he was any Superman or anything like that. A lot of times, you know, especially like with. Uh, I don't know, VBS or, or kids' Sunday school classes or children's church or kids' uh, books. You know, they show some of these people like Samson and these other people like they're superheroes. Like, you know, Batman and Superman and Moses, you know. And it's really not that. There was nothing about them that they were created in some way that would have been different than the way you and I are created. But they did have an unusual... Uh, I guess what would stand out about them would be their, their desire for God, their desire to please God, their trust in the Lord. And that's why we can open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We just read about Moses, but you can read about Enoch and you can read about Joshua and Sarah and Abraham and others that by faith uh, did what they did. They did com- com- complete these things or do these things. But they did them by faith in God and God used them as a vessel. God used them as a vessel. And what I hope we would learn from this, a lot of wonderful things from God's Word that I pray would stick with us. But I pray some of the things we would learn from this is that uh, this study is that don't put them on a pedestal in the sense of saying, I could never be that. I could never do that. Moses didn't think he was ever going to do that. And I'm jumping way ahead and we'll get to it at some one of the weeks down the road. But when the Lord called him at the burning bush, he was like, you forget, Lord, that I stuttered. Why don't you use my brother uh, Aaron? He speaks well. You know, you, you know, you didn't really mean you must have made a mistake. 
And so there was no self-confidence. And that's a good trait, by the way. Faith in God, but also the humility to know that, you know, God, you sure would be blessed to, to have me. You sure would be blessed to use me. I sure could be a blessing to your kingdom and to your plans. He doesn't need any of us. But I'll tell you one thing that we know about the Lord. He chooses to work through people. Now, when He created everything, He spoke it all in six days and, and you know, by Himself. And when Jesus went to the cross, His own right arm got Him the victory. He didn't need any help on man's part. But in His work in, in this life, we see that He chooses to use men, right? He chose to use Abraham to be the father of many nations. And specifically with the many nations would be Israel. And specifically through Israel, one of the descendants would be Jesus Christ when He would come in the flesh. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. He chose a man to do that. He chose Noah to build an ark. Okay? Uh, God did it. God flooded the earth and brought the judgment in Noah's day. And God spared Noah and his family on that saving ark that He had. But we see that God chooses to use men. He chose 12 men and one of them betrayed Him. And he knew he would, but he chose these, this little handful of men, the Bible says, to tur turn the world upside down. We have to understand that God can do anything He wants. You know what He wants to do? He wants to use your life. He wants to show Himself mighty to those that are weak. Had not God chosen the foolish things, right? The weak things and the base things and the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are? That no flesh should glory in His presence? This is the type of thing I want to... I want us to gather, and I believe the Lord would have me and all of us to gather from this study, or anybody who would study. We're studying Joshua. Or we're studying uh, some of the other, uh, what we call the heroes of the faith. Uh, yes, we need to learn from their lives. The things that would be beneficial to us to learn from their lives. And God's Word has given them to us. But he was a man like Elijah of like passions. He wasn't a different order of man. You understand what I'm saying? He, he was a human being just like us. He had flaws. He had character flaws. He had deficiencies. He, we already mentioned this. He was uh, slow of speech. A lot of people think he stuttered is what that meant. He would not be the one that you would choose to be an orator, to be a public speaker, to go and challenge a, a king in an in empire of Egypt. He wouldn't be the one that we would think of, but he's the one that God chose to do it. And so, uh, it was just more opportunity for God to be glorified. And I'll tell you what, I don't think like this like I should. But if every genuine trial that we go through as followers of Christ, every real trial, and something that sets us back, so to speak, that it feels like we're taking one step forward and two steps back, we have a trial that we would look at that as an opportunity for God to be more glorified. You know, Gideon started out with 30,000 and then it was pared down to, to 300. 300. He's like, Lord, you're going the wrong way. You know, I want to look up and see multitudes from these neighboring countries coming to join us to where we outnumber the Midianites. But God did it just exactly the opposite. He went from 30,000, I think, down to 10,000. And who's afraid? Let him go home. And then who's, who drinks water a certain way? And uh, he got it down to 300. 300 men, if we crammed, we, we could probably cl come close to fitting in here and right in that other little building. And, and, uh, and God chose that to be the means by which 
He got the victory. So that we look back and we say, wow, look what God can do. Look what God can do through Gideon and through 300. And look what God can do through the life of Moses. And so he was a channel. Okay, He had a communion with God. He had a relationship with God, which we're going to see developed through his life. And he had weaknesses in his life that would have basically rendered him powerless or unable to do it if it were not for the grace of God. If it were not for God coming alongside and empowering him. And we've given the definition before. Grace is unmerited favor. That is an actual definition. It's a good one. There's an also another definition of grace that it is the, uh, the divine influence of God upon the heart of man. Or in the life of man. His divine influence. How He influences that life. And so, uh, we're going to see how God's grace, although the Word's probably not used a lot in, in you know, Exodus when we're studying about Moses, we see God's grace at work in His life. We see His mercy. We see His power being displayed through a weak vessel. And so, we are just to be vessels, y'all. That is biblical. A vessel of honor unto God. Sanctified, prepared unto every good work. Right? Meet for the master's use. Uh, sanctified, set apart from every and purged from every youthful and sinful lust. A vessel is a vessel. It's just nothing except whatever fills it. The world could fill it. I could fill my vessel with self, which I've done and do too often. Or a vessel can be filled with Christ and with the Spirit of God. Uh, in, in a picture of of Mary worshiping Jesus when she broke that expensive perfume in that alabaster box and, and the fragrance filled the whole place. And it was all for the, for the honor of God. Well, our lives can be that. Our lives can be that everywhere we go. In your humdrum, everyday lives at work and school and doing things, chores around the house or whatever, our life can still be poured out unto God. Is an exciting way to live. It is a life of faith where we're trusting the Lord. But we're going to see how God brought Moses from where he, what he thought he was and, you know, in this position of power and basically brought him down to nothing to being a shepherd, okay? Then next in line to the throne in Egypt to being a shepherd with a bunch of stinky sheep in the desert, okay? Away from his family and home and everything. And then he got him stripped of himself. And filled him with his power and might and his commission upon his life and says, I'm with you. And, and he went with him and God used him in such a great way. But one thing we notice in that passage that we read in Hebrews 11, four times I think it was mentioned by faith Moses. Okay, by faith Moses did whatever he did. And so that is basically the secret of his life. I know we did an eight-week series on Sunday mornings that we completed on faith. We're going to still be, be talking about it more uh, in this book because he was obedient to the call. You know, there, there's, we, can, we can kick against the Lord somewhat and complain and murmur and sit and doubt and yet still be brought to a place of surrender. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Has God ever called you to do something to teach a Sunday school class, to go out witnessing, 
uh, to do whatever it may be. And we hemmed and hawed and we said, not me, Lord. You, you know, we drag our feet. We gave Him all the reasons why we couldn't possibly do it. And, and yet, God keeps dealing with us about it and brings us to a place of surrender. That's a good thing. Not that we drag our feet, but it's a good thing to me that God can bring us to a place of surrender. And people that objected in the beginning can, can surrender. You know what I mean? He said, just say, okay, you objected once. You, you complained a little too much and, and drug your feet. I'll go to somebody else. I want to be quick to obey. Don't get me wrong. I'm just thanking the Lord for His patience that He can get us and He can bring us from that place of, no, Lord, I'm not going to do it. I, I think I don't think I can do it. He can get us from that place to where we're doing it one day. And that's a wonderful thing. It's, it's, it shows the, you know, like a father. It's like an earthly parent. It would be a good parent. You know, I can't, I can't swim, Daddy. I'm too scared to jump in. You know, it looks deep. It looks like it's 14 feet deep at the end of this pool. I'm scared. And you, you can get to the point where the, where the child is going to eventually jump in that pool. They're brought from a place of weakness or fear or doubt or unbelief. And this is for Christians as well, people that are born again. People that know God and His power and might and His faithfulness and His Word. And still, when He puts His finger on our lives, sometimes we can object or try to get out from under the call somehow. You know what I mean? Scoot out from under it and find somebody else, Lord. And uh, He's patient. And He can bring us where He wants us to be. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. So that, that passage in Hebrews, just remember it for the next... However many months we'll be studying this, okay? Um, in Hebrews eleven twenty four, by faith Moses. All right, but I want you to turn right now to uh, Acts chapter three, is where Peter and John have been used by the Lord to heal the lame man at the temple gate. And so we know the story. The crowd gathers by; they see the lame the lame man who's now healed. I want us to read this um, Acts three, eleven through thirteen. And as the lame man, which was healed, held Peter and John, they must be hanging on to him, had his arms around their shoulders or something. All the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's greatly wandering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel you at this? Or why look you so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we have made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, had glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Skip down to verse 16. And his name, that's the name of Jesus, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. That was a characteristic that we saw with Peter and John. It's also one that we're going to see in the life of Moses and every uh, true man or woman of God that's been used greatly is, is that humility and that quickness to point to God. It's easy to say, uh, praise God. It's easy to throw that little phrase up. You know, the, oh, uh, Sherry, that was a wonderful teaching at the nursing home. Praise God. I do it myself. But to really give Him the glory in your hearts and in your minds. 
to where it's not your glory, to where it's not you're not receiving it as your glory. You really are giving it to God, not just to the quick little phrase, but in your heart of hearts, you know, God, if it was good and it was, you blessed it. It's because you did it. And I give you the glory and the honor. Next time I teach in the nursing home, I'm going to need you just as much as I did that time. It's not a little notch in my gun belt that I've got it now. I'm going to need you next time. And, and Peter and John said, why do you look at us? Because all the people saw the, the healed man. They saw the healed man who had been lame from his birth standing there with Peter and John. And now they're looking at Peter and John. And, and Peter says, why do you look at us or marvel at us as though we did something? But it was Peter and John that said, look at us. It was Peter and John that said, uh, such as we have, we give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they took him by the hand and lifted him up and he was healed and his ankle bones were strengthened immediately. And he went jumping around and praising God. It was Peter and John. God did use earthen vessels to do that, but it was God that did it. And the men of God, the women of God, and the ones he will continue to use are going to be the ones that know that. And that humble themselves and truly, truly in private and in public know that it's the Lord. It's not a mealy mouth, oh, I'm pitiful and I'm nothing. It's a really believing, apart from Christ, I'm nothing. I really am nothing. And 50 years from now, if God's still using us in some great way, 50 years from now, we'll still be nothing apart from Christ. It's only the Lord. It will always only be the Lord. And I'm thankful for that. He can find a vessel like that. He'll use a vessel like that. Amen? So that is one of the fruits of the Spirit is the humility. And again, I'm getting, we'll talk about this probably one whole Wednesday night. But it's, it's spoken and I believe in towards the end of Deuteronomy. Now, Moses was the meek, most meek man on the face of all the earth. Of all the people. You know, he says, now the man Moses was the most meek man upon the face of of all the earth. Meekness is a wonderful thing. And Moses would be in the top three probably if we put, you know, saints of God up there. Uh, and yet God says he was the most, it's in the end of his life. You know, after he'd been used to part the Red Sea and to do all the things. And it was Moses that received the Ten Commandments in the law. It was Moses that God hid in the cleft of the rock and said, I'm going to show you my glory. You wanted to see my glory? I'm going to show you a part of my glory. You couldn't handle it all. I'll show you my backside as I pass by. It was Moses. And God says he's the most meek man on the face of all the earth. The Lord said that about him. And I just think that's a, a, a wonderful trait. And we need to see the secrets, basically. Say, what's a secret to a man of God or a woman of God's success? You're going to find a few. It's going to boil down to a few things. Faith in God. Surrender to the Lord. You're going to find a humility. That they're not after their own glory. And they're not going to rob God of His glory. And you know, you, can, you and I, and people, believers, can rob God of His glory in the most spiritual way sometimes. It's just something, you, you know what I mean? We can do it and, and put on this face of piety and this face of humility and meekness when in our hearts we know that that act is getting, getting us attention. We know that that act is getting people to think we're really spiritual. We need to guard against that. 
We need to guard against any, anything like that and have no pretense about it. Just trust God. Okay? Just trust God and know. And so, um, we see this with the church fathers. We see it with uh, Old Testament saints. And they're not different than in any other man except in their faith. Their measure of faith. Okay? And that this was com- common to all of them that we would mention, Joshua and all the others. Uh, four times I said it was cited that and Moses, by faith, Moses did what he did. And you know, when we look at the Lord, say for example, for his disciples that he chose, he prayed all night and he chose 12 disciples. And we don't ever see him in his interaction with his disciples in the Gospels, uh, like commending them for, you know, your enthusiasm is really great or your. Your wisdom, you know, James, you're a little smarter than Andrew. That's going to carry you a long way. He doesn't. Those are earthly kind of traits. But what we do see is that he requires faith. Oh, you have little faith. Where did you doubt? Why did you doubt? He does deal with them about that. Certainly with sin in their life and so forth. But my point is, he doesn't just come, you know, uh, you know, Bartholomew, you're more handsome than, than this one. And you speak a little bit. Your voice is more clear and strong. I can use that. You never see Jesus doing that. Never. We don't know. We know very little about probably those kind of traits about the disciples. I don't know that much about them from the Word of God. But we do know that He, he required, absolutely requires faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And so when they were sleeping on the boat and they saw Jesus walking on the water and they were afraid and uh, and and then you know the big storm and no that was another time when Jesus was sleeping on the boat and there was a big storm and they thought they were going to drown he they woke him up and they even said you're you don't care about us don't you care we're going to die and he woke up rebuked the storm and then he rebuked them but he didn't throw them overboard and drown them and go find 12 other disciples he rebuked him and he says, where, is, where was your faith? Why did you doubt? So we do see him dealing with men about and, and women about our faith. That's important because, I, and we said it in our series on faith, the main reason, I believe, is because we have no reason to doubt God. He himself, when we look at him, is perfect faithfulness. He abideth faithful, the Bible says. So if I doubt him, I had to make up my own reason to doubt him. Because he's proved himself faithful. In your life and in the history of mankind and dealing with men, he has never been unfaithful. So he deals with men about their faith. He dealt with Moses about his faith. Uh, If you can believe, he said all things are possible to him that believes. And that's what he deals with men about. Okay? And, he, and uh, he, that's the man and he's able to take and to use. And he brings us along. Amen? He brings us along and he can accomplish his purposes through our lives. Through our lives as we keep our eyes upon him. And God wants to work uh, to, to put ourselves aside so he can work basically unhindered through our lives. And if you'll notice that the times in our lives that are probably the the most troubling are the not what they should be 
It's when our self is getting in the way. It's when our, our self is getting in the way and we're thinking too much about ourselves and our limitations are our, what we think is so wonderful about ourselves. God wants to use us unhindered and just be able to minister through our lives. Now I want to look at a couple of conditions, okay, for all true faith. A couple of conditions, if you're writing about conditions to really trust God and have true faith. And one of those is the sense of helplessness and nothingness which we've talked about, okay? A sense of ourselves of helplessness and nothingness. You could be the strongest, you could be the smartest, you could be the most wealthy, you could have the most going for you and be the most popular and clever, but to really have faith in God, we need to have a sense of nothingness of ourselves, of helplessness. And we see that with Gideon, like I mentioned, Joshua, we see it with Abraham. He didn't have a child and he was getting older and older and still didn't have a child. You know, understand what I'm saying? There's a sense of nothingness. Next thing would be an absolute assurance that, that we're part of God's plan. That we have heard from the Lord. Okay? We're not just stepping out. And there's a lot of presumption that goes on that's called faith. There's a lot of... of presuming upon among the people of God and it's not the Lord we we're gonna we're gonna know that we're in God's perfect plan and we're part of that plan whether it's George Mueller starting up the orphanages okay or Moses being used to deliver the people of Israel he had to know not only that God's going to do it but he has commissioned me to be part of that that's going to come through your relationship with God I cannot do that for you and you cannot do that for me or for another believer. As much as we may want to, that has to come from my sheep hearing my voice and they follow. You can hear from God. Everyone sitting here and every believer that just got saved today on this planet can hear from God as much as any other uh, believer can hear from God. We have to know that we're in His plan. The next thing is would be an, an entire consecration to the Lord. And that's what we talked about last Wednesday when we ended that series on uh, obtaining power. Full surrender to God. Fully yielded. Not halfway yielded. Halfway yielded is not yielded. 90% yielded to God, to His plan, and to His hand, to His power, and to His will, and to His work, and to His Lordship is not yielded. Yieldedness is yieldedness. Okay? And we need, there needs to be an entire consecration to the Lord, which is like a, sep, a separation unto God. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but I can say I'm yours. I'm all the way yours, Lord. And tomorrow, if you show me something that's not that I've held back, I'm going to surrender it to you tomorrow. I think we can live that way, don't you? That's not beyond us. He gives us the strength to do it. But to me, it's not boasting to say I'm yielded to God or I'm fully yielded to God. Because as clear as I can in my, be in my heart and mind and my conscience right now today, I'm fully yielded to God. Five minutes from now, he says, well, your finances aren't all, aren't all the way yielded to me. Then I'll have a choice right then, right? And I say, God, I yield my finances to you. Help me. It's a struggle for me, God. Help me. And I yield that to the Lord. So I don't think it's an arrogance. I think it's a working of God, of faith in our lives. And as we yield to the Lord, 
fully, He's going to work more fully through us and make us consecrated. Again, that's so He can work through our heart and our lives. Uh, Not just a yieldedness to the work or consecration to the work. Let's say I'm called to be a missionary to India. Okay, so I'm fully dedicated to that. I'm supposed, it's a fully committed and yielded to Christ, to the Lord. Because He may use me in India till I die. He might use me in India for the next 10 years and then move me to something else. I'm fully committed to the Lord. And right now my Lord is working in India and He wants to use me in India. I'm just using that for an example. Okay? Uh, Another thing, uh, conditions of true faith would be a feeding where our daily food are the promises of God. Moses had to remind himself, we're going to look at his life. We're just introducing this tonight. He had to remind himself in prayer, and we see some of his prayers to the Lord, where he's saying, Lord, didn't you promise to bring these people into a land that flows with milk and honey? Didn't you promise? You know what I'm saying? He had to feed on those promises. He didn't invent the promises. He fed on them. They were his food. Abraham was the same way. Who against hope believed in hope. What did he believe? Did he, did he write his own check and say, I believe it, God, now do it. You said you'll do anything that we ask. Abraham didn't do that. Abraham believed, thus it, it is spoken unto him, you're going to be the father of many nations. He believed the promise that God originated and spoke to him. And he hung on to that and he had to feed on that over the next 25 years of not having a child. He had to feed on again when he had a child, Isaac, and God said, offer him up as a sacrifice. And in the Bible it says that Abraham said, I'm the lad are going to return. That he had faith that God could raise him up if he offered him. The Bible tells us that. We don't have to assume that and try to make something out of it. That's what the Bible says. He had faith to believe that God could raise him up if he went through with it. God did raise him up in a type or in a picture because he was offered up. Death offered up and God spared his life. Okay? But again, uh, he had to, we have to hang on to the promises of God. Again, if you were in a, a prison camp right now in North Korea because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you were caught preaching the, Bible, the, the Word of God, you were caught distributing Bibles in North Korea, and now you're in prison, and it's cold, and so forth, and you're away from your family. They don't tell you how long you're going to be there. That, that person will have to feed on the promises of God, won't they? That's a very real example. They have to feed on, he says he'll never leave me nor forsake me. So God, I know you're with me in this prison cell right now. It's cold. I don't have enough to eat. I miss my family more than I can say. Uh, They're getting ready to come back in. They mistreat me every time the guards come back in. But you said, you, you know, that you'll never leave me nor forsake me. You said that whoever believes in you has the gift of eternal life. And I'm going to live, if they kill me, it's only because you let them kill me and that'll be victory because I'll come be with you. You said that if I, my children, who I'm not with right now, my wife, that if I put them in your hands and trust you, you're going to take care of them. 
That's feasting and feeding on the promises of God. So all true faith is going to have to do that. That's an extreme example. But you understand um, the point. And then uh, another one. I thought this was a good one. This is the last one we'll, we'll mention right now. To have true faith in God, we're going to have to dare to act in utter um, independence, I guess you would say, of how we feel at any given moment. How we feel. Our feelings will come and go. Our feelings can mislead us. Our feelings um, are not the barometer, are not to be the barometer of uh, our walk with God. In fact, he, he, he blesses our feelings. He gives us emotions. That's a wonderful thing. To be able to laugh is, is we're told, it's medicine for, for, the, for the body, you know. Those things are of the Lord. But we're not to be governed by those. We say it all the time in our worship services, but even in an act of like, uh, I think it was to, to Hudson Taylor. The Lord said, Hudson, I'm going to reach inland China for Christ. I'm going to do it. And if you'll walk with me, I'll use you to do it. I mean, it's just amazing. And he had, he did. And the church, there's still a, a mighty church in China, despite the opposition of the government and Satan and everything else. He walked with God. If you'll walk with me, I'll use you to do it. And he did. It was costly. He, he left his mother he, and everything familiar to him. He went and was part of that. But we have to act in faith independent of our feelings. I've said it before. If I lived by my feelings, y'all, I would not have gotten out of bed this morning. Honestly, we can't. Even just in a natural sense, we can't just live by our feelings. But trusting God and to really be used by God and to walk by faith, we're going to have to do just that and walk by faith. We're going to have to step out regardless of circumstances, and a little voice whispering in your ear. You know, the world will say, follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Follow God. Follow His promises. My heart has misled me more times than I care to, to mention. Even since I've been saved. Follow God. Trust in God. Follow the Word of God. Follow thus saith the Lord. And trust Him. And, and we have to reckon true faith is going to reckon fully on the faithfulness of God. Not on anything else. Just not, not on anything else. There's no rain. Prayed six times. Elijah did. Still no rain. And yet he knew God had promised rain at His Word. To shut up the heavens and there would be a, a famine and a drought. And then to open the heavens again and send rain at Elijah's Word. And he prayed... And he trusted God. And there was a cloud the size of a man's hand. And he trusted. So th these things are, are very... Uh, you could probably add other things to this. But some of the just basic or key ingredients to our lives if we're going to have true faith. And we have to reckon on the Lord fully and on nobody else. Okay? All the, all the blessings of God that came to Israel came... We know through Abraham originally, but then the 12 patriarchs. But all the blessings that came, came to the stiff-necked and rebellious people through Moses. That's how the, the covenants were brought. 
in the law and the sacrifices in the tabernacle, tabernacle and, and they did inhabit the promised land and not, not one of God's promises failed. Not one of His good promises failed. People failed many times and notably, but it was all brought through one man, Moses, and his faith in God. Trust in the Lord. Keeping his eyes on the Lord. And so, God just wants us uh, to cooperate with Him. To just yield to Him. It has to come, as I said, through our relationship with Him. When Moses tried the first time to emancipate the people, so to speak, he had a right thought that God wanted to free His people, right? And yet, he tried to do it in his own strength. It cost him. It cost a lot. But all that was part of the life of Moses. We know what happened. He raised up, right? He killed one of the Egyptian taskmasters uh, thinking that the people would basically rally behind him. Almost like, okay, here's a man, Moses, who's in this place of authority in Egypt. And he stood up for us. Maybe he thought that people were going to be grateful that the people were going to rally behind him. And it was an utter disaster. He murdered somebody. And it was not God's plan. Guess, guess what that is? This is a picture to all of us when we attempt to do something in our own strength. We have this good idea and we think we're going to go do it. And it's an utter disaster. Let's say I want to feed all the poor people in Baton Rouge and clothe them and feed them and so forth. And I just get out there and talk to the big business leaders in the city and get a bunch of people to give me money and we'll do it and I'm a Christian and we're just going to do this thing. And yet if it's not God, it's going to be a total failure. It's not going to bring Him glory. It's, it might have some kind of success in a worldly sense, but it's not going to be anything like when God says, step aside and let me do it. Let me do it through you. And I love it. I know I'm getting way ahead, but I'm about to close. But when he does speak to Moses at the burning bush, he says, I have seen the affliction of my people and I have come to deliver them. Nothing about Moses. I've seen the affliction. I've come to deliver them. I'm going to use you to do it. There's a lot about the Lord and very little about Moses. And so we just need to yield to the Lord. I want to close with, with uh, this thought. Turn with me if you would in your Bibles to Genesis 15. And we're going to look at this more next week, but the fact that Moses, even when he stepped out on his own in his own strength and murdered the, the taskmaster and it was not God's plan, it was not God's will, he did have, Moses did know, we're going to read about how he knew, from God's Word and from God's promises to Abraham that he was going to bring the children of Israel out. So even Moses growing up in, in, you know, in Egypt as a little child, he knew the promise or the, or the prophecy that the Lord was going to bring them out. And so he wasn't totally off base. He was only off base in the sense of trying to do it on his own strength, which was significant. But let's look at Genesis 15. God's making this covenant with Abraham. And in verse 13, and he said unto Abram, now this is way before he has a child. He's promised him a child and a nation that would come from him. And his name was still Abram at this time. 
He said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. This is a specific prophecy about when they were going to bondage and Joseph and you know when Joseph and the whole story there in Jacob's day when he was old, they'll afflict them four hundred years, and also that nation whom they serve will I judge. And afterwards shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. And thou shalt be buried in a good old age. And so this he promised Abraham or Abram before he even had a son. This is going to happen to your people. So Abraham, I mean Moses knew this. His mother and father taught him this. He had godly parents like Timothy. His mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice, taught him the word of God. And so he, he knew this. And he knew it was, a, he could count the clock. He knew it was about 400 years when he had stepped out to, to murder this man. But he hadn't heard from the Lord specifically for, for his call, for his commission. And we have to do that, y'all. We have to hear from the Lord. And so one of the, he came to be one of the names that's used over and over. If you, you probably don't even realize it, and I didn't just reading through Genesis and, and uh, Exodus, he, he was called the servant of the Lord, the servant of the Lord, the servant of the Lord. That's what that's what Moses is called in the word of God, the servant of the Lord. And as the Lord commanded Moses, those phrases are used over and over and over and over again. He fed on the Lord. He fed on His promises. God used him to lead approximately 3 million people out and, and brought him out. And he was totally... All he had in his hand was a staff or a rod, okay? And he was totally trusting God to do it. God to unfold it. God to bring it to pass. And as long as he was that way, God used him. And I'm going to close with this thought. Are you and I willing to die to our own strength? Moses had to be brought to that place. Okay? He takes us from here, brings us down lower than we've ever been, and then uses us and lifts us up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Okay? Are we willing to die to our own strength, forsake our own plans for God's, and seek to do His will Absolutely. To take up the, the attitude of surrender to the Lord, to be a servant of the Lord, to do as the Lord commands, to feed on His promises, not reckoning on anything other than the Lord and His faithfulness. Because that's what He's called us to do. That's what He's called us to be. I think, and I'm closing, as, the, as we get in this day and age that we're living in, who believes that God still has something, some plans, and I would say some mighty plans that He desires to do on the earth in our day. How many of you believe that God is just not through? I still believe that He still has plans. I couldn't point to a Scripture you know, that gives a prophecy for 2019. Okay? But Jesus said, My Father worketh hitherto and I work. And He's called us uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit to work. 
My point is this. I think God is still working and wanting to work. And he's, we're going to work right up until we can't work. You understand what I mean? We're going to work. And when it's time to be, stop working, it's because it's over then. He's raptured us. Or He called us home. But between now and then, we don't put it on autopilot. It looks like things are winding down. I'm seeing the signs of the second coming and the rapture and all. We need to trust God to work and believe, y'all, that just like He used Moses, Moses did not think, especially when he was a shepherd, that he was going to be the one that God would use. And yet he was the exact one that God used. You're sitting here tonight thinking, I never even really thought of it like that. That I would be the one that God would use or a one that God would use. Gideon did not think he was going to be one that God used. Right? He did not. He was hiding out, threshing wheat behind the wine press so nobody would see him. He did not think he would be the one. And it's the same for us. And God wants us to trust Him so that He can raise us up and, and use us in this day in which we live. He really does. He wants us to trust Him in that way and to not limit Him. You don't invent your own plans and say, God, now come bless it. But you can be yielded to God and say, Lord, give me the faith to believe when you call me, not if, but when you call me, that I'm going to step out and be obedient and I'm going to trust you like Moses did. I'm going to trust you in that way. And so I just want to open the altars. I just want to introduce this tonight.